Hi, this is Bob, and today I have an interview with Infidel Rising. Infidel Rising is a progressive power metal band from Texas. They have released a complex divinity. This one satisfies all your metal needs, and more. And here is my interview with Infidel Rising. Hello, my friend. You there? Yes, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Can you see me or hear me? I can hear you. Okay, good. I wanted to thank you for taking time to speak with me today. Not a problem. I wanted to ask you about the recording process for a complex divinity. Well, the recording process this time was interesting because we did it ourselves. And it was uh, the first time we tracked and recorded everything ourselves. And our singer, Travis, um, had started learning how to mix and master and everything. So it was really a kind of trial and error process. We actually ended up tracking the drums two completely different times. You know, once we got things figured out, you know, how to do certain things, how to get certain sounds. Uh, actually, the pandemic actually helped us in that because... Uh, release got delayed so we were able to actually go back and listen to everything and you know go back in and make adjustments and i remember the first time through i was just thinking well i could have done some more stuff with the drums here so we had the luxury to go back in and just completely re-record them that's so great. that so that was nice but you know it was, it was a lot of trial and error you know there's there's things obviously after every record that you listen to that you know, you can nitpick or wish you had done better or change next time, but it was an interesting learning process for sure. It'll definitely help a band in future releases as well. Oh yeah, for sure. We are, we're already, we're already on to the next one, right? You know, not recording, but writing and thinking about. I also wanted to ask you if you could speak on the first track. Wayne. Hello, Wayne. Can you hear me? Yes, I can now. Okay, yeah. So speak on all the fear? Yes. That was kind of... Um, trying to think. Musically, that was one of the first things we wrote that is kind of in the style of the last record. And lyrically, it's not necessarily pandemic related more so as kind of related to all media you know things seem to things things seem to thrive on fear you know sure fear, fear mongering and you know you can you can get a lot of people to do a lot of things if you throw fear out there so that's kind of what that was about but kind of in a in a broad way you know i, th I think people take a step back and realize that's been going on a lot longer than you know just the pandemic times so it's kind of a broad statement on that. And another one of my favorite tracks is Follow Your Light. Ah, well, glad to hear that. I wrote that, and that's basically about um, kind of having to depend on others for things, you know, whether you want to or not, you know. And what's interesting about that is we've never really, you know, the last record we didn't have a ballad and we were kind of thinking well can we kind of do 
you know, at, at first when that song was written, it was heavier. It was it was like mid tempo, double bass. It was a totally different song, but the same lyrics, and uh, the chorus was the same melody. Uh-huh. And it it just wasn't really feeling right. And I remember talking to Travis, and I was saying, I, I hear this in my head as a kind of piano ballad that rips into this kind of stadium rock power ballad song. And no one else in the band had a clue what I was They, they thought I was nuts. And I just, I just told them, you know, if you can pull this off exactly how I hear it in my head, I think it will work. And so that's what we did. And I'm, I'm really pleased with how that turned out. I'm really, I told uh, Raphael, our guitar player, I said, I need you to give me a kind of lighters in the air stadium rock guitar solo on this thing. But what I didn't tell him was that it was almost four minutes long. But I think he knocked it out of the park. I think he did a great job. And it's definitely one of my favorites as well. Something different for for a kind of a power metal band to do. But I think it works. Absolutely. And the placement on the album is perfect for it as well. Yeah, we spent a lot of time thinking about that because I I don't know. At first, we kind of thought maybe there was too much variety on the record because we definitely wanted to take a step forward from the last one and not just do a bunch of fast power metal songs and not get too out there with the prog. But yeah, we spent a lot of time on flow of that, you know. So yeah, I think I think it worked out well. Well, now that you know my two favorite tracks, I wanted to ask you what are your favorite tracks and why they are. Hmm. That's always the the cliche thing is it's always hard to pick a favorite, but I would probably say I think my favorite track would be Thus Astray, Mm -hmm. just because I think it's kind of got everything we do in one long song. I think we kind of that's kind of why that's the center of the record. We kind of view that as the centerpiece. It's like it's it's slow, it's heavy, it's melodic, it's kind of proggy. That would probably be my favorite. And my other favorite right now, because we've been rehearsing it to play it live, is probably Beautifully Drowned, which was my least favorite at first. Mm-hmm. But now the course of that just gets stuck in my head every time we play it. And that was a that was the last song we wrote for the record. And we knew we needed another track and we wanted to do something different but that whole song came together in probably about 10 to 15 minutes just in the practice room so it came together really easy and i went through this whole debate of is this filler is it is it good did it you know did it happen too fast but now that's one of my favorite ones and i've heard a couple other people mention that as well but you know it's we always try to keep the melody in the courses no matter what type of song it is so i would say those two right now but it changes all the time I also want to ask you, how did we get here? How did the band form? The band formed back in 2012. Um, let's see. I'm going to try to make this a short story. Um, I had I'd played in a band called Tear back in the early 2000s. And Travis, our singer, had come into that band after I had left. So I knew him. And I'd always loved his voice. And he had played in a couple of cover bands and tribute bands around town. And I had just come off the road. I was playing with Pretty Boy Floyd, the Hollywood glam band at the time. Yeah. And that, that band broke up. 
And I just decided I wanted to do I wanted to do this kind of music because it's what I'd always wanted to do. And Travis was the only guy I knew that could sing it. And he was in the process of putting this band together at that time. And I kind of hopped onto that and it had three or four different members that, that didn't work out that, you know, that he had already been playing with. Mm-hmm. And so we took some time for a while there, I'd say in late 2012, early 2013, it was just me and him. He plays guitar as well. So it was me and him in a practice room. And we wrote a handful of songs that ended up on the first record and gradually piece by piece we finally found Raphael and then Aaron and uh, our bass player Daniel was on the first record was Raphael's roommate so it all kind of fell into place and by 2014 we had started recording the debut so that's the short version of it and I also wanted to ask you if you could speak on the album artwork and the artist that was involved the artist that did it was Jan Ireland and he had worked, um, me, and, me and Travis were both members of uh, the band Millennial Reign in the last few years, uh, appearing on their records as well. And he did the artwork for both of those albums. And he's also done stuff for Rhapsody of Fire. I know he's a full-time employee of Magic Circle, which is Manowar's management company. Mm-hmm. And we had had someone locally that was supposed to do the artwork and that fell through. So we were kind of in a pinch and we contacted Jan and we had the album title, but we really had no idea what kind of artwork could possibly go with that album title. So we just gave him the title and said, here, you you know, here's what we're kind of thinking, see what you can come up with. And within a week he had that artwork and we just loved it. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. We thought it really, really kind of jumps out at you, you know. So, yeah, we're really pleased with that. He, you know, he did a great job. I also wanted to ask you, what can I look for next from you? Well, promoting this record, um, obviously we made the video for All the Fear that mm-hmm. we're pushing now. We're going to go in and we hope to make at least two more videos. Um, not sure what songs yet, but we've, we're, definitely, we're definitely at least going to make one more. And we got a couple of shows, a couple of PowerFest shows in uh, the DFW area and in Houston coming up in late November and early December. And just next year, play as much as possible. But we're, like I said, we're already throwing around ideas for the next record. We have three or four things written already. So we probably want to get that out late next year or early 24. So we we don't want to waste any time. So just play as much as possible, try to get on some national shows, maybe hit some festivals here or there. We'd like to get to Europe if possible, but we'll see. And then just get to work on the next record. And also, Wayne, I wanted to ask you, um, how did your musical journey begin? At what age did you start? Oh, wow. Uh well, I knew this is what I wanted to do when I was four years old after seeing Van Halen for the first time, ironically. And I got started on like toy drum kits and stuff probably at six or seven years old. Um, always had sticks, you know, and probably got my first real kit when I was 13 or 14. And then just, you know, did the typical thing playing in high school bands 
playing with other musicians, you know, and then um, mm-hmm. that band I mentioned earlier, Tear, I got in that band when I was just about to turn 18 right out of high school and just went from there. And it's, you know, been in seemingly an endless stream of bands and gigs since then. I really, I really don't know what I would do if I didn't have a rehearsal or a show scheduled. So that's pretty much been, <laughs> man, pretty much been life for the last 25 years. I also wanted to ask you, um, when you do get spare time, where are some hobbies that you're into? Hmm. I think I would have to have spare time to know that. Now, I <laughs> probably, probably just like watch. I'm a sports fan, so watching sports and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, between between Infidel, I also play drums in Lillian Axe. I'm in a couple of tribute bands, so there's really not a lot of spare time. There's usually always something going on. And I also wanted to ask you, if you could give me your top three drummers, who would they be? Hmm. Top three as in who I think are the best or just personal favorites? Your personal favorites. Personal favorites. Okay, that's easy. Lars Ulrich, Eric Carr, and Tommy Lee. Those were the three initial influences on me. And probably the people I took the most from, which you wouldn't think. And I'd make, I might throw Bobby Jarzen back in there, too, mm. especially for the, the other type of music we're doing. I think he's hands down the best out there, especially for metal, as far as the kind of technical, technical playing goes. Yeah, I think it was very unfortunate uh, what happened with Eric Carr. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Eric Carr could do a lot more than just what he was allowed to do on Kiss Records, too. I mean, you watch the guy live. He was incredible. Yeah, absolutely. To be taken out in his prime like that is just a shame. But, yeah, he was probably he was probably actually the my first big influence. You know, because yeah. Kiss was kind of the gateway band like it is to so many people. Yeah, he was definitely... Uh great live and a great person as well yeah that's what i've always heard yeah no one has anything bad to say about that guy um i also want to ask you um during your musical journey which has you know definitely been a great one i want to ask you what's the best advice you've been given along your path that i've been given yes probably let me think here Probably, and I don't even know where it, who it came from, or if it's just hearing something in passing, but I think what I've always tried to do is always play the same, no matter how many people are there. Mm-hmm. That whether they're, you know, I'd always tell the guys, you know, it's, it's easy if you're doing a show and you're slugging it out and only 15 people show up, but that's 15 people that made plans, spent money, maybe got a babysitter, you know, came out to support you. So they should get the same show as if there was thousands of people there or else you're just punishing them for the people that didn't show up. Plus you never know who's seeing you where. So I would say the best advice is to always deliver, you know, every chance that you get because you never know who might be watching and also, I wanted to ask you, um, you've had a great career, 
I wanted to ask you, what do you feel is the key to longevity in the business? Not stopping. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's plenty of reasons to stop or plenty of reasons to get beaten down. But, you know, especially if you're playing any type of metal, obviously it's not going to be the flavor of the week. You know, you're not going to make a lot of money. So you really have to, you really have to love it or you're going to get eaten up by it pretty quickly. But, you know, if you can outlast everybody else, then, maybe opportunities will come your way so just never you know don't stop just keep it going and uh i also wanted to ask you what would you say has been the proudest moment for you hmm man proudest moment that is a tough one hmm I would probably say uh, probably there's two of them. It's probably getting this Infidel record and getting the last uh, Lillian record released worldwide, you know, officially signed and released. I would say that. You know, just actually having other people get the stuff out there instead of just doing it, you know, because when you're when you're young, it's the whole thing of, oh, I want to get signed. I want to get a record deal. and That doesn't necessarily carry the same weight in 2022 that it did in 1988 but it's still you know still but still kind of the achievement of that goal i would say and uh what's the best way to get merchandise from the band best way to get merchandise is either the infidel rising facebook or infidel just search infidel rising on Bandcamp, and everything that we have is on there and that's directly from us the new records on there couple of versions of the old record we're about to have new t-shirts and stuff to put up there i think probably in three or four weeks or so so i would i would refer everyone just search infidel rising on Bandcamp, and it's right there and um you had mentioned that you're starting to work on new material i Mm -hmm. want to ask you um do you feel that the the stuff you're currently working on is it relatively in the same vein as this last album? Uh, the things we have so far, I would say yes, but we'll probably always try to take a step. Like I feel like we took a step on the new record from Torn Wings, but without Absolutely. you know it sounding like a different band. So I would say we would always want to progress. I think maybe maybe the new stuff would be a little bit heavier but heavier in like a riff musical sense more so you know still be melodic still be catchy but i would say we'd we'd like to take a step forward without losing the identity where you don't even know it's the same band but early on that's kind of that's kind of what the feeling is of the three things we have so far and what would you say are the main influences that you draw your lyrics from Hmm. Me and Travis are the ones that write the lyrics and Travis, um, Travis can draw his from weird places. He, especially on the first record, he would write a lot about, you know, kind of maybe life lessons or things that were based on biblical kind of tales Mm -hmm. and how they play into the modern world. And there's some of that on the new record. I would say the new record is a little more, I would say real world. My my lyrics come just straight from experiences, whether it's something I've had or witnessed. I, I'm pretty much 
you know, I don't really write or deal in fantasy things or, you know, I, I pretty much take from real experiences, but try to write it in a way that it's not direct what it's about, where it could apply to a lot of people. But sure. I think that's kind of the more of the, the there's more realist stuff on this record, which is kind of plays into the title of a complex divinity, which is kind of, you know, where we're at in the world today, everyone thinks their way is the kind of divine way, if you will. And, you know, there's nothing you can do to tell them otherwise. So, but that's many different things, you know, to many different people. So that's kind of where that comes from. And I also wanted to ask you, how do you feel um, the music scene is in your area? And our area, I hate to say it in Dallas, it's pretty bad. It's probably the worst it's ever been. We're, we're overrun, and I do play in a couple of them, but it's overrun by tribute bands right now. Whereas you can go out on any given night, and there's probably 25 to 30 tribute bands playing, and there's a handful of local bands. But... Other where other, you know, we're in Texas, so Houston's really good for us. Our singer mm -hmm. Travis used to live there. That's probably our best market. And there's always a lot of support there. But in the Dallas Fort Worth area right now, it's pretty weak, which is sad because there used to be a whole lot of talent here. And there still is, but they're all playing cover songs, you know, because they want to make money. Which right. I understand. I get it, you know. But I'm overall for the type of stuff we play, I mean I'm sure, you know, in the U.S., it's not, you know, you're really, I mean, you can't hope for massive success, you know. Oh, yeah. But I think, oh, but in the same sense, over in Europe, this album would uh, definitely blow up pretty well. Yeah, that's where we've got real good reviews coming in from. I mean, I haven't read one really bad one from Europe, you know, Germany, Europe. Um, Finland, it's uh, just check our Spotify numbers. Finland, it's doing real well right now. Greece, we've always done real well in. So that's kind of the countries you depend on, you know. And it's funny, I was watching the, uh, I was checking out the interview you did with Silent Night from Australia. Uh, and I think that record is amazing. It is. But I mean, I thought that I had never heard of them and that kind of came out of nowhere. And I listened to it and I'm like, man, this is just incredible. Why is no one talking about this? You know, it's just, it's tough to get the word out for this stuff, especially in America. That's why I do what I do, because yeah. uh, I'm 56, and uh, the, gener you know, I graduated in 84, and uh, mm -hmm. the people I graduated with think uh, heavy metal hasn't existed since 1990. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, That's because, you know, uh, for some reason, they quit growing into it or whatever, Dalding became a factor or whatever, but yeah. it's sad because metal is stronger than it's ever been. Yeah, there's so many albums that have come out in the last 15 to 20 years that stand up to anything from the glory days, but no one's heard them. Right. You know? The the support system, you know, it just isn't there. Like it was. I mean, even if you think about the 80s, in all reality it wasn't that metal was so much bigger. It was that the poppy poison Bon Jovi stuff was so much bigger, but at least that was hard rock. So that benefited everyone. Sure. You know, and now that's just not the case. So it, it just makes it that much harder. Sure. And I remember, you know, 
um, bands that were brought up through Headbangers Ball and stuff like that. Bands like mm-hmm. Anthrax and you know that yep. you know Sabotage. Uh, yeah, those bands, those bands could play those bands could play arenas back then. Sure, you know. And the the strange thing to me always was I understand grunge came in and all of that stuff, but I mean, for as big as some of these bands were, where did all the fans go? Right. Did they just, you know, they just disappear or just change their, you know, turn their back on them that easy? It's always been, you know, kind of strange. I think they got old. That's that's (laughs) a big part of it, you know? Yeah, I think, uh, like I say, you know, a lot of people in my age that grew up and through that era, Man, they listen to the same 300 songs they listen to when they're kids, and they don't expand their horizons. Yeah, and there's got to be a reason radio stations still play those same songs, because somebody's listening to it. Right. And, you know, we hear, we fight the battle now of, you know, if, especially if a national act will roll through town, and it's on a weeknight. I mean, look, older people, they're not going to stay out into a bar, you know, at a bar till midnight on a Wednesday no matter who you are, you know, mm. and until, you know, but we've also done some shows where we've opened for like, I remember we opened for Epica and we opened for glory hammer and there were nothing but young kids there, you know? So, so they are still out there. You just have to, you know, social media is not helping that everyone's splintered onto 15 different platforms and you need to be able to keep up with the page on all of those to try to reach people. You know, that's that's also a tough thing because they are out there. But, you know, getting them to find out who you are is, the you know, the tough part. Sure. And I know a lot of bands right now are. Are keeping the name out by, you know, like maybe two months before the release. Here's a single. Right. And then a month before release, here's another one. Remember me? Right. And then, you know, a week before dropping another one. Yeah. Keeping the name alive. And I think uh, it, in a way, it's sad because it it keeps people from listening to albums as a whole. Growing yeah. up in my era, I don't, I don't make playlists. I want to hear an album in, in its completely. No, I'm the same way, and I and I still buy CDs and record. I don't feel like I own the record unless I can hold the record. Sure. You know, having it on, yeah, I have Apple Music, and I can listen to every album in the world on my phone, but that's just, is, I don't know. I'm too old school to fully embrace that. And that's before you even get it to the pay scale, which is ridiculous. Right. You know? But, yeah, that's, you know, everything... Everything that was old is new again, and everything seems to come full circle. But it's been quite a while now waiting for things to kind of turn because it's going to get to some point where technology has been taken as far as it can possibly go. So, what happens then? You know, right. it probably, I think that's probably why vinyl is so popular again right now because it's a whole generation of people that didn't even know what it is, they didn't grow up with it. Sure. And, <clears throat> You know, one of the greatest things I enjoyed as a youth was, you know, your favorite band was you could go to a record store at midnight and pick up your copy at midnight, wait in line, 
you know, through yeah. the night to get this album and to take that shrink wrap up and hold it in your hand was a magical moment. Yeah. yeah. And same thing with concert tickets. Can you imagine people waiting to buy a record now? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, you know, I have this kind of theory that convenience is nice, but convenience also allows you to not appreciate anything like you would in the past, you know? Sure. I think that's a big part of it. It's it's kind of everything, you know, music, TV shows, movies, everything's kind of disposable because it's all so easily accessible. And I don't I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. Yeah, I remember uh speaking of Kiss uh uh seeing out at by blow weather all night long waiting to get tickets to the crazy nights tour. Ah. Uh, that's actually and it's not a very popular opinion. That's actually my favorite record of all time. I'll tell you what, my favorite track off the album was never released as a single is I I'll fight hell to hold you. That's a great song. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was one of the first, that was probably, that was one of the first records I got, you know, as a, as a child, I think I was seven when that came out. And that's that's always been my favorite record since then. And most Kiss fans hate that record, and I get it, you know. But I don't know. Well, in comparison to Unmasked, it's a great album. I came around on Unmasked a few years ago. There's there's like there's three good songs on that record. Yeah, three. But bass tracks were good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I do like Naked City. Uh, that's probably my favorite song on that record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Shandy and all that, I don't know about that. Yeah, is uh, yeah. it rendered itself better acoustically when they did it that way? I think. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, that they did that on the symphony thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yep. That's probably how it should have been done originally. And that but song I don't, was I don't actually. Know, you, what's worse, Unmaster the Elder? Well, you know, I like the Elder because. uh I didn't much care that they uh, strayed from what they set out to be, but I thought for them trying to do that style, it was commendable. Yeah, that's actually the only record of theirs I've never owned. I mean, I've heard it plenty of times, and I do like The Oath, but that's the one I just never bought. But... Lastly, I wanted to ask you, if you could give a message to your fans, what would that message be? That would just be, you know, a huge thanks to anyone that takes the time to listen and support this type of music. You know, if, if you're if you're listening to our record, you're probably pretty hardcore and not a casual fan. So it's that's what we that's what we thrive on, you know, and people like you to spread the word. So just anyone that takes the time to listen, listen, we appreciate it. it you know, it, the way the business is now at this point, that's kind of all you want. You just want to put it out and hope people hear it and enjoy it. Absolutely. Cause I, yourself, you got to look yourself in the mirror in the morning yep. and you got to know that you did what you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. You can't think you can't worry about it. You just have to please yourself. And if people like it, great. And if they don't like it, Hey, that's fine. You know, nobody likes everything. So. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we can both uh, agree that uh, probably that uh, Unmasked was a definite example of that. If you try to follow a trend, that trend will end before 
you get out there. Yeah, and they kind of did that all through the eighties, didn't they? Yeah. Although, I, although that's I love, you know, that's probably my favorite era because that's the one I grew up in. But yeah, they kind of did do that. You know, I think I even Carnival of Souls was an example of that. Oh yeah, trying to sound grunge. That was that weird era where all of those bands put out a record trying to do that, and it just did not work. Yeah, even you know, I remember Dawkins listened to it, and I was like. Oh, oh, that's the worst God. one of them all. Yeah. That is by far the worst one of them. That's a <laughs> terrible record. Even Don says that. He hates yeah. it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, all them guys hate that. You know, yeah. and looking back at because they sacrificed what they were. Yeah, you know, and even if that, even if that, uh, even if they put out a record like that, but that's actually what they wanted to do and that's what they were feeling, it probably still would have been a better record because at least it wouldn't have been fake. Right. I think the same thing can happen when bands, you know, try to go back and copy exactly what they did in the past. That can sound disingenuous as well. Sure. Because you know? you're just kind of, someone asked me that not too long ago, like what we, what if someone told you go write songs how you did 20 years ago? And my answer was, I don't know what that even means i would just have to try to listen to what i did 20 years ago and try to copy that which would probably sound kind of diluted and fake you know right so yeah you just have to do what you want and let the chips fall where they may i guess well wayne i wanted to thank you for taking time to speak with me it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you no problem and thanks for taking the time to you know get the word out on the record we really appreciate it and please feel free to update me at any time. All right. I definitely will. And you have a great rest of your day, my friend. You too. Thank you again. All right. Take care. You too. I'd like to thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can sponsor the podcast. Just click that button and you can be a member of the family. And remember, come see me for a fix.